This morning, I felt in a word, it's, uh, actually let me give you some context of where this comes from. So in the week, I spent quite a bit of time with somebody who actually lost his way. And in spending time with him, I realized that he has some things that he believes are the right thing. This is, this is truth. But the scary thing is what he believes as truth is actually absolute false. So what he believes is this is the way I should go. And if I do this, this is right. Actually, in this person's case, it would actually be illegal. Even according to the law of South Africa, some of the stuff that he was feeling that he could do was actually breaking some laws in the country even. And, I mean, God's law is even higher than that. Like the moral law would even be, it's like he's broken that a long time ago. But even in God, he felt like, I'm right. And in trying to show him that, in trying to not show him the, la- the country's law, in trying to show him God's law, God's what God wants for him in his life, um, I realized that somehow he's measuring this, everything I say, through what he thinks is right and wrong. And no matter what I tell him, he puts that into his filter and then looks at his direction and says, no, but I'm right. And that's such a dangerous thing. And it made me think, am I like that? And the scarier thing is, I am. That's the scary thing. So as a picture of that, the earth, you know, the earth has a magnetic field. And uh, so according to that magnetic field, you can find north. You can use a compass. And then you can orientate yourself and see where is north. And it's got a little floating magnet, magnetized little thingy on and it. One side is painted red. don't know if everybody's seen a compass. And it floats on something and then it, it points to north. And with that, you can navigate your way and always know where's north, where's south. Even so like it's got little numbers on it. There's only one problem with that, and that is that magnetic north on Earth is not where north is. Magnetic north moves. doesn't even stay in the same place. It moves about 50 to 100 kilometers every year. So it's not even, oh, it's a little bit there. It's a little bit there, and then it's a little bit there. The other thing is, magnetic north is not the same in every country. So as you move around the globe, it shifts from how far away from real north it is. So there's there's the north, if you look at the globe and you say, that is the north point of the earth, which is determined by the rotation of the globe, right? And then the magnetic north is off it. So if you follow that, you won't get to the North Pole. You'll end up somewhere in Canada. And the other thing that changes the magnetic north is actually like if you go to Mount Everest, the mountain actually is magnetized. So that also influences it. So, And it's a little bit like navigating our lives according to our own compass. We've got a magnetic compass. And if I face a big problem in my life, my true north shifts a little bit further away sometimes from my magnetic north. 
So I'll give you an example. If I'm late for a meeting, who's driven too fast in their car because they were late for a meeting? Right? Come, be honest. Right? <laughs> late for a meeting. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, driving too fast is okay. Because there's a mountain and it shifts where my north is. Other days, when I'm going to pick and pay and I don't even really want to buy something, I'll drive 40. Who cares? Nice Otsurin, drive down with a window. I don't have to drive too fast. But if I'm late, all of a sudden, my moral compass shifts. And that happens to all of us. We all get influenced like that. So when we were coming back from uh, the 412 conference, there was horrible rain and storms and floods and stuff, and we needed to find our way back to Otsuren, and uh, literally all the roads were closing just in front of us. These guys swam through a river with their car. One little red car almost lost it, if it wasn't for the prayers of the righteous. And uh, good you had her in the car, right? <laughs> you could have been off the road. I got to that point where they traveled, traveled through 10 minutes later. I went, no ways. I'm not going through here. They've got a car. I've got a four by four. I have no idea. Way more faith than I do. Way more. <laughs> I got there. I went like, no, 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 no. Uh, and then I used Google. Google's got this nice little thing called Google Maps. I don't know if you know about that. It's an amazing thing. And you say, I want to go to Otsuren, and it says, go there. It's like, no, I can't. <laughs> okay, other way. So go via Cirrus, via Lanesburg. Ooh, there's a port we have to go through. That might close. But the incredible thing is Google Maps doesn't use a compass. They use a thing called GPS, Global Positioning Satellites. So they're off the earth. They're not influenced by our shifting uh, magnetic field. They actually give you where you are. They tell you, drive there. And if it all functions right, <laughs> they tell you exactly where you are, where you are. So, and in this picture, we need GPS. We don't have it. That's something external. We actually need to be, have that added to us. It's an upgrade that we need as humans. And how does that work? Well, God's given us his word. And the word, the Bible, can help us to find our true north. It's like a GPS to us. But we have to use it. If you don't have it, then it helps, doesn't help you. If, if I didn't have my phone and we were desperately trying to charge it all the time from the car, because, you know, it doesn't really want to charge, and um, desperately trying to keep this thing alive, because this needs to tell us where to go and how to get there. And the same way, if you don't read your Bible, if you don't use it, if it's not in, in you at the time when you need it, actually, it might be too late. You, it's too late to charge the battery then. You've got to charge it every day. And then um, here's another little small bit about GPS. GPS is actually also wrong. <laughs> it's a little fun fact my, my Nathan would say about GPS. It's purposely wrong. 
so that you can't use it to target buildings with missiles using your cell phone. So actually the GPS satellites are, are built to give you the wrong location. Your Google map just actually translates that back into the right place and gets sent a code by the GPS to do so. Uh, and at any time, the guys can actually switch that code and it actually goes further wrong. And they've done that in, in, in times where like now, when, um, when the big uh, thing happened in, in, between Russia and the Ukraine, if you'd noticed, you would have seen that all of a sudden your, your Google is pl plotting you off the road alongside, but that's what they've done. They've changed the code to make those things less accurate. And in that, there's also a picture for me, and that is sometimes we think we're using GPS, but because of our way of thinking and not allowing God to shift the way we think, we even interpret that wrong. So you might be reading the Bible, but you've shifted what it means. And now you're reading it, and even with GPS, you can't find your location. And I've got three words that I want to talk about that I think we've changed how we read the word. And how, an example of that is we sang this morning, and we said, in your name. And there was a lot of that in the, in the song, right? Your name is higher. Your name is glorified. What does that mean? Did you think about that? What does it mean? Your name. What does it mean to you? Your name is higher. Your name is glorious. Why? And actually, we, we should, you should check this out sometimes. Think about these things. What does that mean? Because if we just go on saying things in church that have no meaning to us, we're just repeating empty phrases. And then we're singing a song about God's name, but what does it mean? Have you thought about that? What does it mean? Hmm? Anybody wants to venture something? What does it mean? Your name. No, it's okay. <laughs> so here, here, here it is, right? Why your name? So the name of God refers to his character and who he is. That's what his name means. It's a representation of God himself and who he is and what he has done. And therefore, in Psalm it says, your name is a strong tower. Your name is a fortress that I can hide in. It's God's name that represents the fact that he has done a great work for us. That's why we sing that song. That was free. <laughs> so the three words I want to talk about. Are the three bad words. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> no, no, I have to. Michael thought it was sin, cause, and tan. Because it's all the math stuff that he has to study at the moment. <laughs> the three bad words. <laughs> No, sin, <laughs> transgression, and iniquity. <laughs> what does that mean? What does sin mean? So, sin, in the Old Testament, there's a word in Hebrew called kata. And uh, in, the new, in Greek, it's hamartia. 
What it actually means is to miss, to miss your way, to not be successful. So in scripture, we see when in the, in the Old Testament, you see that when the guys train to throw rocks at each other, the army of Israel at some point was so good that they could throw a stone over a long distance and hit a hair every time. And that word that was there was used was they did not sin. They did not miss. So it's, we've, we've created a word for it, but it's actually more of a concept, like to miss your target, to not be successful. So for it to be sin, I, I think it needs to be not successful at something specific. So what is it that we're not successful at? And that's God's created us to be something specific. In Genesis it says God created us for his glory. He created us in his image to resemble him to each other and to the world. And when we miss that, that's sinning. We miss being the humans we were supposed to be. And even the law that God gave us has two sides. It says love God and love each other. So it's easy for us to say, well, if I don't love God and I don't honor God and I don't know what God wants me to do, that's missing, right? But there's a second side to it. It's when I don't love you, when we don't love one another, when we don't honor one another, that's also sinning against God. That's also missing the target that God has set us. So how do we fix this? Because the other problem with that we see with sin is that often we don't even know that we're doing it. That, that is the big problem. Pharaoh enslaved the whole nation of Israel because he was building his economy. Yet God wasn't very happy with that. Destroyed the whole nation in the end. Uh, King Saul. King Saul was hunting down David. And, and in his mind, he was hunting down a criminal, a lawbreaker. But then when David, you know the story, David cuts off a part of his garment and shows him that I could have killed you and I didn't. But I'm sorry that I have even touched you. And Saul is convicted by God and he says, I have missed the mark. I've missed the mark. I'm doing the wrong thing. And he's convicted and he goes, oh, but he didn't see it before then. In the New Testament, in Romans Paul actually says we're slaves to doing the wrong thing. We're slaves to, to miss. We're so inaccurate with our lives that we cannot get this right. He says what I want to do, I don't do. I'm aiming at the right thing and I miss the target. What's God's answer to that? Well, God's answer was Jesus. God sent Jesus to not miss the mark. He never missed the mark. He hit every target, every time. So that we can follow his example. So now we have somebody we can follow. And our failure to judge rightly, our failure to choose right, was put right by Jesus. Because he never missed 
And uh, 1, Peter, 1 Peter 2, let's, let's look at that scripture, 1 Peter 2 verse 22. He says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled the insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. That's God, his father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. How amazing is that? Through Jesus that died on the cross, we can die to our sin. And that was God's answer to sin. The next word, transgression. Oh, that sounds heavy, huh? Transgression. Do you ever use that word, transgression? I don't think I've ever used the word transgression in normal, everyday language. What is that in Afrikaans? Transgression. Hmm? I think we could use it in Afrikaans. Yeah. Transgression. In, in the Hebrew, it's a word, word, word called pesha. Um, and in the Greek, I looked this up. I didn't know this. I didn't study Greek in Hebrew. As, uh, but I like these words. It's a word called paroptoma. Paroptoma. No? It's a nice word, paroptoma. You have paroptomat. <laughs> yeah. I think it's right. Anyway. The meaning there is to rebel. The meaning there is to trespass. So, to give you an example, if somebody breaks into your house and they steal something from you, that is not paroptoma. That's theft. If you find out that it was your neighbor, then it's paroptoma. Because you should be able to trust your neighbor. He shouldn't be breaking into your house. So this idea of, of transgression is one where we should be able to trust, and then the trust is broken. And in the Old Testament, Israel is being accused by the prophets of paroptoma. You've transgressed. Why? Because you agreed with God that we will listen to your law. God gave them the law in Exodus, and they said, yes, we'll follow this. We'll be your nation. And then they don't. And then they says, no, 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 you've, you've transgressed against God. You've broken trust. The thing is, we do that all the time as well. We break trust, not just with each other, but we do. If I break trust with you, then that is actually also against. And the interesting thing is we would say that you transgressed against, right? But actually the original word says that you transgress with. I break trust with you. I trust, And then I break trust with God all the time. So, let me see. Paul speaks about this. Uh, when he refers back to Adam and Eve, he says, Adam and Eve, and in this sense, Adam takes the place of humanity. He says, humanity has broken trust, paruptama, with God. 
What are we going to do if we can't be trusted? Jan spoke about relationship is built on trust. So how can I have relationship with God if I can't be trusted? If my trust is, is, is broken, how do we fix that? And what's God's response again? In Romans 5, verse 15, we'll see that. What is God's response? He says, the gift, what is the gift? The gift was Jesus. So before that it says, one man's sin broke trust with God. And we all follow that. And a multitude of sins followed. One, one act of breaking trust. But then the reverse is true. That one man, Jesus, fixes all of that in him. He says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace, the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow into the many, into us? So Jesus takes that paroptima, and he never transgressed. He never broke trust. He didn't break trust with us either. He was God that came to the world. And although the world treated him cruelly, he never broke trust with them. Even on the cross, he goes, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Trustworthy. He, he lived what he said he would, love. He just poured that out on us. And that, although we are untrustworthy, we are unfaithful, God comes with faithfulness, trustworthiness, and integrity. The good thing is, Jesus then creates that in us. If we give our lives to him, he creates in us a new being. So, we can have Jesus, we can have the GPS installed into us. And we can become trustworthy. We can become people of integrity, people that are faithful. No more transgressions. Last word, iniquity. That's another word that I don't think I've ever used. Iniquity. What does that mean? Iniquity. And iniquity is this. In Psalm 35, it, it speaks about iniquity. And it says, I'm bent under the load, my back has become iniquity. And it is actually bent out of shape, skewed iniquity. So how does that relate to us? So it could be the road is iniquity. The road is not straight. Uh, in Job, it says this. It says, um, a person that fails morally has a skewed way, a crooked way, full of iniquity. In Jeremiah, it says, Israel lost their way. They had fallen into iniquity. And it's bent. A scary part 
of the Bible comes into play for the first time with this word of iniquity. Because it's got a, a different side to it. It's got a different way that the word is used in the scripture. And it says that it, it comes into the concept of punishment. Iniquity. And it says, God says, I will visit the iniquity upon Israel. Their iniquity will be visited upon them. In other words, a sense of the repercussions of what I'm done, the repercussions of being skewed, of not following God's law, of not being able to, is now being placed upon me. The iniquity is placed upon me. That to me is really scary. Because now I've got to carry something. And, and it seems to be that that's God's punishment. Is that he'll allow us to live with our iniquity. That the person that chooses against God is then ultimately carrying their own iniquity. The repercussions of their own decisions and the way that they've walked. The skewness their inability to choose right is now something that they have to live with. And um, in Isaiah, God gives us an answer, luckily. <laughs> in Isaiah, Isaiah starts speaking about a servant that will come. And he, he's predicting Jesus. He's saying there's a servant that will come that will suffer on our behalf. And what would happen is the iniquity would be placed upon him. So much so that it will crush him. Crush him. But that's not where he stayed. He will then overcome iniquity. He would rise again and he would live again. That's an Isaiah. And then we see that happen when Jesus comes. When he's crucified, all of our iniquity is placed on him. And he dies. But when he's raised from dead, from the dead, he actually overcomes, finally, iniquity. And we don't have to carry it. So, David saw this way before Jesus came. Don't know how. <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit... Psalm, Psalm 35, oh, is it Psalm 35? 32, yes, I thought so. <laughs> Psalm 32. So, if we look at that, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. See both words in there. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And in some translations that says, you carried away 
the weight of my transgression, of my iniquity. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may, may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. This is God speaking. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing, all you who are upright in hearts. That's the answer to sin, iniquity, transgression. God's answer is that we can be righteous. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You're righteous. You can have true north. You can have GPS. How do you get that? Quickly. The Holy Spirit. That is installing GPS. When you give your life to God, when you make him the Lord of your life, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And in John fourteen twenty six, it says this, the Holy Spirit will teach you and remind you. He says that to the disciples, he will teach and remind. So you'll get new things from the Holy Spirit. When you're facing a new situation that's, that you can't find somewhere, you can rely on the Holy Spirit to tell you, how do I choose? What do I do? How do I overcome this? Nathan was saying this. He said, like, last year God did big things in his life and, and convicted him of sin. And he repented. And he was still struggling. And through a year of living with God, God's come with his spirit. And now he hears the same things, but he knows that they're wrong. And he can actually overcome them. He can choose right. Because of the Holy Spirit in his life. The Holy Spirit would teach us and remind us. John 16 says, verse 7 to 11, it says that the Holy Spirit comes in the place of Jesus. Because we would have loved to have Jesus around. Huh? We'd be cool if he could just stay. The problem with that is we'd, we'd be queuing up to see him. Because he was just a man, so... We would physically have to get to him. And because of that, Jesus says, I'm going, but I'll send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can live inside of you and speak to you. And he can be your guide. He will show you the way. So today... You might be sitting here and saying, but I don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm still choosing wrong. Or in Psalm 32, we read in verse 5, it says, I have no longer hidden my iniquity from you. I've confessed my sin and you have forgiven me. 
Somehow David got that. That it's in the confession of our sin. It's when we say what we have done out loud. That God says, I can forgive you. You might be sitting here and saying, well, I haven't done that. So, 1 John 1 verse 19 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this morning, I want to give all of us the opportunity to do that. I want to give us all the opportunity to say, I want to, God, I want to confess my sin. Will you forgive me? And if you've never done that, if this is the first time, I'm going to ask, I'm going to make it easy. Why? Because I can. Because <laughs> God wants it to be easy, as easy as possible. I want to ask all of you to close your eyes. And now, just you and God, I would like you to just take a physical action and say, God, put up your hand. Raise your hand. Like Jan did many years ago. Say, God, I have sinned and I do fall short. Please forgive me. You guys can put your hands down. I can see. Like anybody else. So, can I ask all of you to pray with me? Are we all going to do this prayer together? Why? Well, because we can always reaffirm our faith with God. It's always a good thing for all of us. So let's pray together this morning with those that raise their hands. You can pray after me. Father God, this morning we come to your throne and we confess our sin. Confess that we've missed the mark. We have transgressed, Lord. And we should bear our own iniquity. Father, please forgive us. And come and rule and reign over our lives. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that we can know that we are forgiven. And please give us your Holy Spirit. Come and fill us with your spirit. And change the way that we see the world.